Welcome, everybody, to Books with Cooks, a podcast for bookies and foodies. Hi, I'm Jess. And I'm Alex. And we're two cousins who are also best friends who love to read. Yeah. And I love to cook. And I cook to survive. We'll be reviewing, analyzing, sometimes overanalyzing, and discussing the books we're currently reading, as well as new and old recipes from our kitchen to yours. By the way, we're real people with real families. So you may hear cats, dogs, birds, babies, and husbands. So enjoy that bonus material. Now let's get booking and have a tasty chat. Hey, 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 listeners, if you're enjoying our podcast, please give us a five star review on Apple, Spotify or your preferred streaming service to help us reach more listeners and spread the word about our podcast. Before we get started, we want to include some trigger warnings. This book and the following discussion will include topics of violence, kidnapping, child abuse, attempted suicide and murder. So please be aware of that before you proceed. Also, just be aware that there will be cursing and spoilers. So if that's something that you're sensitive to or if you haven't read the book yet, you may want to skip this episode and then come back to it in the future. Hello! (laughs) (laughs) Before we started this, Alex, like you say hello. I was like, hello! (laughs) Um... Welcome back to the snack. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. <laughs> Hi, Alex. Hi, Jess. <laughs> so, what are you snacking on? <laughs> oh, well, I have some carrots with hummus, and I have I just went and got a Red Bull because I'm feeling bleh today, as you know, and I got some water and seltzer, so I got lots of drinks today. Nice. Yeah, yeah. when we started recording uh, today, me and Alex both felt like we were coming down with something, and now I'm drinking tea, and before that I had coffee, and I feel like it's clearing up my nostrils. Oh, that's good. All right, chai tea. It's the cure. <laughs> so I'm having my chai tea. I got some cashews here, lightly salted. Nice. And uh, and yeah, we're just sitting here talking about <laughs> DIY projects that we're never yeah. going to do. <laughs> It makes no sense. Okay. I sit there and I watch tons of DIY projects. I love watching them too. You know, they'll take like an old piece of something like an old dresser and they'll turn Mm -hmm. it into something insane that I would never have thought of. And I'm just like sitting there respecting this person. And I'm like, wow, this looks great. Yeah. And I'm taking mental notes for things I'm never going to make. Yeah. I do like certain types of DIY projects. I'm not as much into the furniture. That's my mom's thing though. She loves that. She's really good at it. Yeah. 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 But I like more just like building stuff and things like that or re- repurposing things. Like we were talking about how she has a china cabinet behind her. And I was like, you could put books in it. That's what I was doing, you know, at oh, my yeah. old house. And, you know, just if you don't have like little tchotchkes or like things that you want to display, display your books in it. And it actually keeps it a little protected, too, because you can close it, which exactly. is nice. Dust, dust proof. I like yeah. that. And make it like, I don't know, maybe like a teal pretty like green or maybe Mm -hmm. like a a pink like a blushy type color I see these people in the DIY stuff all the time and they're making things with multiple colors they're adding like foils like gold foils rose gold foils that sounds exciting yeah and I just don't know when I'd have the time for that but I I would love to make time for that (laughs) 
It is, it is a commitment. I follow somebody on TikTok, actually. She goes to like flea markets and things like that, gets things really cheap or sometimes for free. And then she redoes them. And she does such an amazing job. By the time she's done, I'm like, that looks like a brand new piece of furniture. And she resells them and she gets like $500 sometimes for them for things that she got for free. That was like a piece of garbage, basically somebody was throwing out, you know? So it's really cool. I, I honestly wish I had that type of vision and the, the skills <laughs> to do it. But it definitely is time consuming. I know she talks about how sometimes like she'll spend a couple of weeks on a project. And eh, to me, that's just crazy. <laughs> I, I think of like the comments that I always see on the TikTok videos that are like, my toxic trait is I think I could do this. And yeah. I really feel that way. That I feel, I feel personally like, attacked when I see these, that. Right? Because yeah. I'll be like, I can feel, I can follow these directions. I could do this. Yeah. But then I know myself and it'll end up coming out not like that. Or I'll be a perfectionist and I'll have to make it come out like that. It'll take me 30 years. It's been 84 years. Yeah. Or I'll abandon it because it's not coming out perfect. And then I'm like, well, now it's not even worth doing. Because I messed messed up this one little (laughs) spot in the corner and now I'm so sick of it. (laughs) So Alex bought a house recently and she was painting, you know, normal painting. And I'm like, do a marble wall. I'm sending her like all these marble wall things. And she was definitely like side eyeing and eye rolling in the background. She was like, I'm not doing this shit. Uh, But remember, uh, I was like, marble walls, sick. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that would be awesome to do. She just <laughs> ignored me after a while. I was like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I'm like, did you see the TikTok? She was like, mm, maybe. <laughs> Sometimes, though, they have that pick and, uh, peel and stick wallpaper now that you can use. I got a bunch of it. I'm going to use it actually for these shelves that I'm putting in a closet nook upstairs uh, outside oh, my you bathroom. Oh, them to me. What yeah. the on the flowers? They're pretty. They're so they're pretty, pretty and they're so easy to install. And I'm like, that's a great way to get some type of dimension and like character on a wall without going crazy with paint because I'm terrible with paint. First of all, Rob hates when I paint because I get it everywhere. He's like, I I don't even understand how you got it over here when you're painting over there. I'm like, I don't know how it happened, but it happened. My mom too makes fun of me. She was like, I don't know. She's like, I thought I was messy. You're really, really, really messy painter. I was like, I hate painting. (laughs) That's why. When when I was putting the baby's nursery together, uh, I had a vision at first that I would be the one painting this wall, this mural, and that it would look so amazing. And then I was like, (laughs) Nah, I'm just going to go to Etsy and buy a decal. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I did. And it came awesome. Because if I would have tried that myself. Well, you have some artistic ability, at least. You probably could pull it off. It's just, it would be very tedious. But especially I, yeah, like well, when you're pregnant and stuff. Yeah. But. And as you know, my my number one weakness is perfectionism. And yeah. if I don't get things right, I get frustrated. Like you said, I'll, I'll abandon shit. Yeah. Abort. Yeah. <laughs> You know what I mean? I'll be like, no, the head's too big for the body. I got to go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> too hard. Too hard on myself sometimes, I guess. But yeah. But, it, 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 you know, who has time? Like like you said, I was pregnant too. And decals are awesome. Yeah. They make everything so much easier. And you can even, you don't have to follow the picture where, you know. Not yeah. Uh, I know what you, you mean. Know, perfectly. You can make it your own. Yeah. Last Christmas, I bought uh, these decals. They were all white and it was like a winter scene. For the, for the for the for uh, the window in the front, yeah. I never did it. Never oh, had no. the time. <laughs> but I want to find them this year and do it. Yeah, it sounds pretty. Christmas box, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah, I like things like that. Yeah. Uh, another one too. I watched this guy. I got to send him to you. I might have sent him last year. I don't know. But okay. he paints with white paint on glass on Ooh. windows and everything, and he makes these scenes that are gorgeous and it upsets me because then later he'll take a razor and take them off and i'm like no yeah i've seen people do that and it is it's really beautiful 
I could never do that. That's that requires a lot of, oh, I think, no. artistic. Skills. So much patience. Yeah, this guy is very skilled. Uh, he did like in the window, a dog looking out one window and a cat looking out the Aww. other. And it was like a little snow and it was just beautiful. Yeah, um, so cute. <laughs> the dogs were like, wait, I could be in the window. You know what? Want a dog in the window? You don't need a painter. How much <laughs> is this dog in the window? But yeah, uh, you know what I really do want to do? I want to go to one of those workshop classes. We should like meet in the middle or something and like go to one of those. Those are so much fun. Because I would say yeah, like, with we'll the make wood. our own and do it like in, a, in one of our houses. But then we have to buy the stains. We have to boil the stuff. It's so much easier to go somewhere else and do it. Plus it's less mess. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would love to just go and paint something. Maybe like a, a Christmas thing or something. Yeah, we should for the holiday be season. Fun. Be fun. Yeah. yeah. Well, we I do love doing those things. With cooks. Yeah. Oh, it'd be cute. <laughs> That would so, be really cute. I like yeah. that. Plus, we have to go to that painting studio that we have a free. Yes, we have the free, free lesson. Canvas. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for Alex's bachelorette, we went and I, well, the lady was really sweet. I felt bad. Yeah. Um, but we put, uh, I had made uh, a sangria. I, we put it on the table and the table wasn't, what, it wasn't set right or it something? It wasn't like locked or something. It didn't yeah. lock it. was it. a folding table. Yeah. So it went all over the place, all over the floor. She felt terrible. She went and got us couple of bottles of sangria which was nice and then she gave us all another free lesson yeah uh, so i i do have her card i found it recently we should go yeah we should and we just made two dates two i know yeah <laughs> yeah uh, <yay>, yes <laughs> and maybe we can find some kind of a, a painting where it's like a girl reading a book or something be exciting oh yeah that'd be cute all right well that was fun now let's get into uh the yeah. silent patient and not so fun fun yeah. read but not so fun topic not so fun topic yeah <laughs> and a not so fun word of the day either i mean it's fun but it's scary too so just Ooh, like this what is it? let's go look let's let's find out <laughs> we had a good conversation <laughs> okay it's time for the word of the day remember that we encourage our listeners to use these words in your daily conversations and with us on our socials. Stay tuned at the end of this episode when we will give out our sassy spatula award to whoever correctly uses the word in conversation during the previous episode. Each word of the day will come from the Word of Day Vocabulary Workbook by Francine Puckley or Franny the Pucks. Follow the link in bio to get a copy for yourself. Without further ado, today's word of the day is nefarious, spelled N-E-F-A-R-I-O-U-S pronounced nefarious. It is an adjective that is defined as evil, reprehensible. For example, because of the nefarious nature of this crime, I am forced to pass a stern sentence. Jess, can you come up with some examples to help us remember nefarious? Ne, 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 nefarious. <laughs> um. <laughs> I think this is the nice. perfect word for this book. Yeah, right? Uh, it just happened to work out so perfectly. Even uh, the example. <laughs> I know. So I would have to say that in the end, Theo is so, so nefarious. Yeah. yeah. At the end of this book, Theo's nefarious intentions were made clear. I'll say. Yeah. Yeah, I would also say that uh, although you feel for Gabriel, at some point at the end, even though obviously he didn't deserve what he got, he was being pretty nefarious. Uh, behind his wife's back. I was just going to say the same thing, that Kathy and Gabriel, in their own way, were pretty nefarious in this novel, cheating on their spouses with no mm -hmm. regard. Mm -hmm. I'm going to talk about that 
Mm. <laughs> Jess has mm. thoughts. Oh, do I? <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Well, here's some trivia about the word nefarious. <laughs> the etymology of this is pretty straightforward. Ne, N-E, is from the Latin not. And fas, F-A-S, is a root from the Latin meaning right. So it means not right, technically. Hmm. And it was first used in 1609. So therefore, it's not right, but it's okay. <laughs> nice. Okay. <laughs> I'm never going to be able to think of this word again without thinking, no, nefarious. <laughs> you said, is there something we can do to help us remember? And there you go. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> no. So funny. (laughs) All right. So as you guys know, we're all about booking and cooking on this podcast. So let's give you our ingredient of the week. This week's ingredient is walnuts inspired by Indira's walnut cake that she bakes for Theo as a means to use for soothing difficult patients and staff. We will make something using that ingredient to discuss in our potty episode, which will air on Thursday. Send us recipe suggestions to our email or on our socials, and we may end up featuring them in the future. Okay, so let's tell you why we chose this book. Uh, The Silent Patients is a best-selling mystery thriller with critical acclaim, and the author grew up on Agatha Christie's novels. We like those, so of course we wanted to read it. Yep, plus Book Talk is obsessed with this thriller and subsequently made us buy it and try it. (laughs) At first, uh, we were a little reluctant. We weren't really... (laughs) into starting it we were procrastinating but we finally gave in and ultimately we're glad that we did yeah i thought it was going to be boring couldn't be more wrong so (laughs) (laughs) all right so uh before we dive into our discussion here's a plot synopsis so everyone knows what this book is about Uh, alicia berenson is a renowned artist living a seemingly perfect life until she's found by police with her dead husband who's been shot five times in the face to his death leading her to go silent and never speak another word to anyone in the past six years since. Criminal psychotherapist Theo Faber is enraptured by Alicia's story and jumps through hoops in order to work with her. Through an extensive investigation and research of Alicia's life leading up to the crime, Theo aims to disentangle the mysteries behind her actions and her silence. The Silent Patient was written by Alex Michalides, who was born and raised in Cyprus, a Middle Eastern country near Greece. He grew up reading Agatha Christie novels, and the first book he ever read, which sparked his love for reading, was And Then There Was None by Agatha Christie, which we also love. He has an MA in English Literature from Cambridge University and an MA in Screenwriting from the American Film Institute in LA. He also studied psychotherapy for three years and worked for two years at a secure unit for young adults, providing inspiration for this novel. The Silent Patient was his debut novel, spending over one year on the New York Times bestseller list and sold in a record-breaking 50 countries. It has since been scooped up by Brad Pitt's production company, Plan B, to be adapted into a future film that we will definitely be watching. It is rumored Brad Pitt may actually play the role of Theo in the movie, but this has not been confirmed yet. Michalides has also written various screenplays for movies featuring actors such as Jennifer Lawrence, Uma Thurman, and Sofia Vergara. He currently resides in London and prefers to read books while his toes are in the sand. I mean, who doesn't? Seriously. (laughs) All right, so let's get into our book discussion on The Silent Patient. Let's get started with sharing our thoughts about the characters. Who was your favorite and least favorite, and did you feel that they were well-developed? I thought the characters were very well-developed. I think Michalides, Michalides? Ladies, Michael I think. Yeah. 
I think <laughs> I think Michelides did a really great job in developing the characters. Uh, I felt like they had a lot of depth. Um, I was second guessing myself a lot of times with the characters. Some of them are a little suspicious. <laughs> and I just felt like Alicia, I completely get her. I understand her. I think she's my favorite. I think she has so much depth. I think that there's so many layers to her. Uh, and, and, you know, initially you're just presented with the fact that she's a murderer and you just don't know why. And then you get her whole everything, all of her information. And you get so much from someone that is silent the whole time and other things speak a lot for her during that time. And I just thought it was really well done. My least favorite, uh, I hated the brother-in-law, Max. I don't know if he's my least favorite, but I just despise that person. Yeah. I also didn't like Jean, Jean Felice. I thought he was annoying as well. Yeah. I didn't like a lot of characters. There was a lot of them that I just did not like. Um, some doctors I didn't like, you know, and I can't really tell you that I hated Theo because for a while there, I kind of did like him. Uh, and there was a lot of yeah. things about him that make him such a great character. So I can't say he's my least favorite. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know who my least favorite is. That's a hard question for this one. For me. Yeah. How about you? I agree that all the characters were well developed. Um, when it comes to my favorite and least favorite, I I I feel like I felt the same way about all of them. Like I didn't really love any of them. I didn't really hate any of them, but right. I liked all of them, you know, like even the ones that were more villainous, I I liked the character. Not that I liked them as people or anything. Like Max wasn't a good person, but I liked right. the character was like interesting at least. So I don't know. This book was kind of hard for me to figure out who my favorite or least favorite would be. I guess my favorite would have to be Alicia. Although I don't know. I really did like Theo for a long time as well. I liked his character. I guess maybe one of my least favorites would be Max or John, yeah. John Felix. Felice. Um, they were definitely on the bottom there. Her dad was on the bottom. He wasn't really a character in the book. He was just kind of like a memory, but Oh yeah, yeah he was awful. Yeah. So Yeah. I guess I'll say Alicia was my favorite and maybe a toss up between John Felix and Max as my least favorite. Yeah, I did hate his dad as well. Theo's dad. Actually, I did kind of like the front. Yeah, his dad was pretty terrible too. I did like uh Alicia's friend, the one that she confided in. I can't remember her name right now. Was it Anne? The, the no. neighbor? Yeah. I can't remember her name off the top of my head right now. I don't know why, but I liked her. I thought she was kind of funny. Oh, Barbie. Was it Barbie? Barbie, yes. Yeah. Okay. She was funny, I thought. I, she was a little wackadoo, but I thought she was funny. So. Yeah. She was her next door neighbor. Of course, you like, you love Of course. I love my neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> Which is funny because in real life, I really, I have very cordial, like, hey, how you doing? And then I never talk to my neighbors. So. <laughs> <laughs> just make them up yeah (laughs) hilarious you all (laughs) well this story begins with the revelation that alicia murdered her husband so why do you think the author made this admission from the very start and despite this did you find yourself questioning her innocence throughout the book so i think that the whole point of this book is to question whether or not she really did this or at least why um and i think that's why they started it off just explaining that this is at least what the police had determined had happened. This is what the world believes had happened. And throughout the book, I think we're supposed to question if that's really what happened or if there was something else going on, or at least trying, like I said, trying to figure out the reason why she would do it. And because she's been silent since then, we don't know from her perspective, you know, what was going on. So it was kind of fun to have 
what happened, the crime, like the scene all set for us, and then trying to figure out, you know, what the details were throughout the book. It was kind of fun to go on that adventure with Theo to try and figure out and put the pieces together. Yeah, I loved that about the book. I love that there wasn't like random things thrown in to throw us off either. Everything was pretty much given facts that we just had a clues that we had to decipher. Yeah, uh, I did question her innocence throughout the book often. You know, there would be certain things thrown at me, little little things where I would suspect people like Jean Felice or Max at first. He was my first. I was like, he definitely. And they made a point of saying that they never locked the backyard gate. People could just walk in. The back door was always mm-hmm. open. So I was like, somebody definitely came in. At first I was like, it was definitely Max, trash bag. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then <laughs> and then I was like, oh, well, maybe it's this one, that one. You know, I kept guessing myself because uh, I wanted her to be innocent because I was liking her. You know, she became yeah. real to me with her, her diary entries uh, and all of her situation. And the fact that she was silent, I felt like the poor woman was in shock. She technically kind of was. Uh, but, you know, like you said, it starts out with the understanding of a scenario, this scenario happens. And honestly, she's not really a cold blooded murderer in a way. I mean, yes, she kind of, kind of is, but it was maybe like a moment of temporarily in, in temporary insanity. Uh, Had she spoken up, maybe she kind of got heard, but she didn't choose that path. It's pretty twisted. <laughs> the whole thing. Yeah. I, I mean, I wouldn't say temporary insanity, if anything, maybe a crime of passion, but I think she did it in cold blood. I mean, she, He had no way to protect himself. She knew what she was doing. She knew what that outcome would be. She made that choice to do it. You know, she wasn't fearing for her life or anything like that. She had a choice to not do that and she did it anyway. So it's uh, ironic too, that she chose to use the gun that her husband had in the house that she was upset about being in the house. She didn't like that gun. So it's like maybe like subconsciously she knew she was going to use it or something kind of weird. I don't know. I feel like had she not been put in that scenario, would she have done that? I don't know. But we'll talk about that a little later. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Either way, she did it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. So Alicia's diary does play a key role in the book. What purpose do you think it serves? And does your perception of Alicia change the more that you read? Yes. So I loved the inclusion of this. I like how it switches from Theo's point of view and then back to Alicia's diary entries. I love the whole connection that's made at the end. So I think that that's really uh, what keeps you glued to the book. Uh, I read this book in a day. I loved it. I, I just kept, you know, switching back and forth. At first, you're like, oh, Alicia, you know, she's nuts. And then as you're reading her entries, you're like, is she nuts? She's just, you know, she's just a woman that's in in a marriage that she thinks is one thing and it's another. She's just somebody who's scared and nobody's taking her seriously. No one's listening to her. You know, I was, I was getting frustrated and I cared. I actually cared about her, cared more about her as I read her entries. And I started to get my eyes open to things and I felt bad for her. I did. Mm. Um, even in the end. I mean, obviously I felt really bad for her with what happens and her fate. It's pretty effed up overall. I'm not yeah. saying, you know, what she did makes it right or anything, uh, but I definitely changed my perception the more I read her, her entries. Yes. Yeah. I don't know because I'm not sure. I can't really remember what my perception of her was from the start. I think at first I just assumed that she had suffered kind of some kind of trauma that resulted in her killing her husband. And as the book went on, I started to question that. I was like, maybe it wasn't that, you know, I went back and forth trying to decide if she really had killed him or if she hadn't killed him. I liked the journal entries a lot. First of all, this is the only perspective we get from Alicia throughout the whole book until the end, pretty much, because she doesn't speak. So without the the inclusion of these diary entries, we wouldn't know 
who she was, what she was like, what her thoughts were. Um, I did like getting that insight into her. I remember reading and thinking she's obsessed with her husband. Like it was so creepy a couple of the times where I was just like, it's just kind of weird the way that she would describe him. So I did feel a little weird about that. But that was the only major thing that jumped out to me. I did start to question because, you know, as the story goes on, they do talk about her mental health quite often. At the start of the book, she is in a mental facility, a mental health facility. And her diary doesn't make her sound like she has a mental health issue at all. She sounds perfectly, you know, uh, reality based and like she doesn't seem to be struggling with any type of severe mental illness outside of maybe depression, but that's not the same like they try to make it seem like she's having delusions and hallucinations and all this stuff and that was never really made clear from her diary entries i just thought that that was really interesting and that kept sticking out in my mind as well especially as the story did go on when that became a big thing throughout the novel so i was doctor dr west was misdiagnosing her he was saying that she was borderline which i never got that impression actually i can see the borderline um personality I, I can see that, but that's not delusions or or hallucinations. That's more that like uh, the attachment that she had to her husband that made sense. Mm-hmm. The fear of abandonment and you know wanting to to not lose him and all that stuff. That seemed a, lo- a little borderline, but I mean they were giving her like antipsychotic medications and all this stuff, and I don't. She didn't. She never needed any of that. So well, that doctor that was prescribing it was the doctor that had misdiagnosed her from the start and all that everything that he was trying. She was telling him, I see a man outside my house. He's watching me. And she, he's like, Oh, you're crazy. Yeah, no, I I agree with you. The doctors were definitely corrupt and it's because he was friends with her husband and he Mm -hmm. believes that she was crazy. So he, you know, talked to his friend and said, she's acting crazy. And yeah. And you know what, to go back to what you said about how, you know, she shows in her diary, how she talks about her husband. So attached and such, Mm -hmm. I think she was trying to, justify his actions to herself like she probably deep down recognized he was doing something he was never home he was never around Mm. he was always out and about working quote working uh and i think that she was you know how like people are always like oh i'm with my baby i'm doing this and that like who are you proving it to you know the world or yourself so Mm. i felt like while i was reading the journal entries a lot of the time she would be making him out to be this great husband that he wasn't so maybe she was just he definitely wasn't a great husband but i don't think she thought that i think she genuinely believed he was she like look literally looked at him as her savior she even made a painting of him as jesus right and that's that's where yeah that's where it started to get like weird for me because i was like okay that is and even he was like it's kind of weird i don't think you should be painting me as jesus like that's kind of creepy and she Mm. was like no this is what i want and i was like no he's right that's creepy (laughs) that's weird (laughs) um but i think that it did say a lot about her mindset and how she viewed him in their relationship yeah it's like you know right about that yeah yeah like he saved her but really kind of destroys her yeah well sounds like a greek tragedy speaking of which Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh alicia's silence is related to the greek myth of alcestis Mm -hmm. so how do you feel about the story of that myth and then about her silence i liked the inclusion of this in the book first of all i love my greek mythology so i love when books yeah i love when books include this stuff and i liked seeing the parallels um i had actually never heard of alcestis prior to this book but i did look it up you know when she they make a point to say that the only thing she did after killing her husband was paint herself as Alcestis. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well now I need to look this up immediately. Um, so essentially Alcestis, the the main mythology behind her is that she was obsessed and in love with her husband. 
and she ultimately decides to sacrifice herself in order to save her husband and um eventually her heracles would go on to save her from the underworld for that reason because he knew that she had sacrificed herself so i think that especially as you're reading you start to see that maybe this is something that had happened i was starting to wonder if she had killed him to save him or if she was sacrificing her freedom for some other reason if there was a connection there um I don't know if they ever came full circle with that. I did like this, the symbolism behind it, but I, I thought it was a fun thing to include in the book. And I thought it was really interesting to see how an artist would perceive themselves in a situation like this and how mm. they might try to communicate about where they're at without using words. So I thought that that was interesting. I thought it was really messed up that nobody decided to take that and try to interpret it. And instead we're just like, oh, she won't talk, put her on some more drugs and put her in a room. And her silence, I, I liked the fact that this was the silent patient. Uh, at first, it reminded me of that book, Speak. Um, I don't know if you ever read that. There's, mm -hmm. They turned it into a movie as well, but there's, it's a YA. A young girl is sexually assaulted, and she then doesn't speak. She loses the ability to speak because the trauma kind of gets in the way. Nobody is believing her. So I thought it was going to be something similar in this book where she was so traumatized by what happened that she wasn't physically wasn't able to speak. When we eventually find out the real reason for her silence, I felt more frustrated than anything, though I appreciated the symbolic nature of it. So I don't know if you wanted to get into that now or if you wanted to talk about that more later. About her silence? Mm -hmm. Well, going back to what you said about how she painted herself, I thought that that painting sounded amazing also. Like the fact that it it was basically her, I think it was naked, like behind her, you're looking in basically, and she's holding a paintbrush with red paint dripping, which could be symbolized blood, and a blank canvas is behind her, which is so interesting. Uh, and then behind that was a bowl of fruit that was rotted. So I just thought that that was so interesting because, you know, she was talking about how she wanted to, her and her, her, her her husband, we're going to start trying for a baby. Uh, and I think that symbolizes the fact now that he's dead, you know, the fruit is rotting, her her womb is rotting or such mm. some kind of symbolization for that. Um, so I just thought that that was really interesting. Obviously, she was communicating. Yeah, Clearly, she says so much within that painting, you know, that like, now where do I go from here? It's a blank slate. You know, she feels naked without him. Um, so there was just a lot to interpret from it. I think that in the moment, you know, she acted on impulse. I think that she was devastated and that's why she maybe went silent. I'm not sure for the book, it works, but for her, you know, it doesn't really work to her benefit when she's going silent and she can't defend herself or explain her situation or whatever the case may be. But I did love the the whole relation to the Greek myth. I thought that was interesting. Like you, I looked it up too. Yeah. And it was very interesting. I had never heard of it either. And I just feel like um, I, I loved the inclusion of it. I thought it made it so different and dimensional, you know, gave it gave it more depth to her, not just being someone who's silent, but there's more to it. She had actually seen this Greek play a few days before, you know, so I just yeah. thought that that was interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, just so in we'll regards get, to her silence, um, you know, at the end of the book, they she basically says that she chose not to speak because she just felt like there was no point that nobody would listen to her, which right. they do, you know, they do give you support for that throughout the book. However, yeah. I thought it was stupid <laughs> because if you're being accused of murder, you're not going to say anything in your defense. You're just going to go silent for six years. Even if somebody doesn't believe you, it's worth telling your side of the story. And then eventually, you know, the truth does come out. But 
just to choose to go silent, let people pump you with medications and waste away in a psychiatric unit when you could be telling your side of the story. Maybe somebody would have listened. Maybe that somebody that wasn't as connected to the story would have heard you. Right. Um, so I really went, I, I liked the whole concept of her silence until the very end when we got the explanation for her silence. And I really disliked that, but. I think that goes to show that we're not dealing with a sane person and that's why she is where she ended up maybe. I disagree. Well, I feel like I like the symbolism behind it. The fact that like I keep talking, 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 no one's listening to me anyway. So why don't I just shut up, you know, and take what you give me because you're going to give it to me anyway type of shit. I do like the idea of how women are silenced in the face of trauma. That's what I mean. Like it's definitely some kind of symbolization for something like that. Yeah. And I just think it would have been better served if it hadn't been so much of a choice. You know, I, I don't know. I just, it bothered me. Yeah. Cousin conflict. It's fine. If you, if you liked it, that's fine. If anybody listening liked it, that's fine for me. It just, it wasn't, it wasn't it for me. No, it it goes for the story, but in real life, you know, like you got to speak up. (laughs) That's the point (laughs) of speaking up. But for for the book, if she did speak, it wouldn't, she wouldn't have been the silent patient. No. All right. <laughs> uh-huh. All right. <laughs> so Theo's motives to work with Alicia are basically pretty complicated. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think he actually wanted to help her? Hell no. He's disturbing. I think he wanted to help himself. Okay. Yeah. So I think in some sick, twisted way, he felt like he was helping her, but was he really? So let's go into Theo. Theo was probably had the most dimension in this book. He was very dimensional, this person. Okay. I mean, I feel bad for him. Yes, he was abused as a child. His dad was a piece of shit. Uh, He used to, you know, abuse him for no reason. He had like some kind of maybe undiagnosed issue. Uh, But his mom also didn't do anything to help him. So he always, you know, had that in the back of his mind. He had this uh, doctor that he's seen who was kind of like a mother figure, Ruth. He had a lot of issues going on. And then he finally meets this woman that he loves. The woman he finds out later is cheating on him. There's this whole thing. So do I think that he's actually trying to help Alicia? No, I think he's trying to look for something in himself because he's not happy in his own life and he's not happy with himself. Now, he's also the type of person where he finds out that his wife is cheating. He, instead of confronting her, he goes out and like stalks her and then finds the guy that she's cheating on him with, follows him home, okay? And then sees his wife in the window and says, oh, hmm, just like me. And then completely ruins her life. Like that's your next level psycho, I'm sorry. You know, and then to make it even crazier, this man then, when he frames this woman, basically, well, leaves her um, with a husband who's tied up and then he doesn't make Alicia shoot her, shoot her husband, but she does. Uh, she goes to jail, or rather, um, I'm sorry, not jail, but you know, this locked facility. Uh, and the psychiatric ward. And then six years later, he comes on board and becomes one of her doctors. Like that's it's disturbing, right? And then he's trying to help her. No, he doesn't. And then later on when she's about to out him and he gains her trust, he puts morphine in her and puts her in a coma. So yeah. my answer, that was a very long answer, but my short answer is no, he's trying to help himself. Yeah. Yeah. From the very beginning, I thought he was weirdly obsessed with Alicia. I was like, why is this person so fixated on this person? And I, when I still thought that this had been the result of some type of trauma, 
I was thinking like maybe somebody had broken into their house, attacked her and then killed her husband, like sexually attacked her. And I thought maybe it was Theo <laughs> because he was so weirdly obsessed with her. And it was really creepy and disturbing to think that a doctor would go out of their way to spend years waiting until they finally mm -hmm. have an opportunity to work with you. It's disturbing as hell. I don't think yeah. he ever wanted to help her. Once obviously we learn about the truth at the end, I definitely think he was coming just to make sure that she didn't say anything. You know, he had exactly. obviously been following the headlines. He knew, you know, everything about her case and he wanted to make sure that she never did speak up. And ultimately he did make sure that that happened. Luckily she had her diary which is able to expose him, so. Yes. But yes. I do agree that he was one of the most dynamic characters in the book. I really liked his character. I still really like his character as a villain or as, you know, if he hadn't been a villain, I would still like his character, so. Yeah, he he was just a really great character and very exciting to read about. And there was just so many layers to him and I like that. But yeah, he, he yeah. not only is she silent and he wants to ensure her silence, but he makes sure she's always permanently silent. Yeah, yeah, and he would just get away with it. Luckily, yeah. he doesn't. <laughs> he's, he's terrifying. He's like very obsessive, you know, he was obsessed with his wife and then she hurt him. So he went out and took it out on this other, this other guy. It's just, and then he was obsessed with Alicia and then he was obsessed with making sure that she would stay silent. It was just like a really deep fixation on all of this. It was, yeah. it was really creepy to read about. It was. Okay. So one tie between Alicia and Theo is that they both endured difficult childhoods. So early on, Theo actually says he believes no one is born evil. Who they are depends on the environment into which they are born. By the end, but he appears to change his mind, saying perhaps some of us are born evil and despite therapy, we remain that way. So which do you think is true? And let's talk about this and how it shapes their lives and their actions in the book. Yeah, this is that old argument. Is it nature versus nurture? Uh, you know, that depends on how we turn out and how we choose to behave and all of that. And mm -hmm. I think it's, I don't think it's one or the other. I think it's a combination of the two. I think that there are some people that are born for the capacity to do evil. And then there are life circumstances that will push them to that sooner than others. I do think that anyone is capable of murder or, or doing something really terrible. It just depends on what their trigger is. I think anybody can be driven to that if their triggers are pushed the right way. But I think for people just to go about life and and hurting people without any good reason. There's something that they're born with. And then there's environmental factors that push them more towards that. Yeah, I don't think anybody's born evil. I think that everyone's born a little baby, innocent. They don't know what to expect. And then all of a sudden things around them change, whether it's how they're raised or whether it's the environment, like you said, around them. But no matter what, I think that, you know, what, what happens in your life shapes who you become and the decisions that you make. Obviously, not everybody will make the same decisions if they're in the same scenarios. But I feel like sometimes it's a chain. So, you know, uh, if a parent hurts their child, maybe they were hurt, maybe their parents were hurt, and it keeps going into a vicious cycle until someone breaks it. So I think in this case, uh, Alicia maybe never intended to hurt anyone the way that her father hurt her, but then it triggered something in her when she heard the same response from this man that she loved as much as she loved her father. Now another man is, you know, saying he wished her dead and it just snapped and triggered her. Like she would 100% be on the show, snapped, <laughs> without a doubt. Yeah. yeah, yeah. As far as Theo, I mean, confused with him, you know, because he seemed like he was a good guy and he wanted to do the right things. And although he doesn't actually pull the trigger with Gabriel, I mean, that's, he's a sicko and he does, he does basically, you know, uh, lights out Alicia in the end, so. Yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, they both definitely endured a lot in their lives. 
but I think that, you know, you have to have a certain trigger in order to to be able to commit an act like this. And I think Theo was maybe born a little bit more capable of doing this evil than Alicia was. I think Alicia Alicia was driven to this, whereas Theo was born with that capacity to start. And then he had the difficult childhood. He had other struggles. He had the issue with his his wife. And it all just kind of culminated in this this action for him, where he was going to basically put the the gun in Alicia's hand, let her pull the trigger, and then ultimately end up killing her at the end as well. So it's, I think that with these two characters, you know, we saw how environmental factors can influence people in two different ways. Yes, definitely. So weather plays a large role in this book. For instance, there's a heat wave during the summer, etc. What purpose do you think the description of the weather serves in the novel? Uh, how nothing may be fixed. I don't know. This is my interpretation that like the weather, it's sometimes unpredictable. Things change. You know, we have a a scene where there's these storm clouds and you have a doctor looking out the window and he's like, oh, I've come from a whole family of, you know, weather uh, people. He's like, I know it's going to snow actually later. He actually says that. And everyone's like, oh, no, no, it's going to rain. And it does rain at one point. There's actual rain in the sky. It's hitting his window uh, as he's in his office, Theo. You know, and then uh, later on in the novel, it does finally snow uh, at the end. There is a very significant scene, which we'll talk about in a little bit, about snowflakes and such. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, the heat wave during the summer and all these things. So I just think that the heat wave could have possibly been causing maybe either way, whether it's the heat wave or whatever it may be, weather might have an effect on people. And this might just be my interpretation. But, um, you know, when I'm sweating, I'm angry as hell. <laughs> versus when I'm colder, you know what I mean? When I'm, when I'm, you're more likely necessarily to have a moment of temporary mood change or something based on your surroundings. So I don't think it means necessarily that it's exactly the weather changing these people. I think it's just the idea of a storm inside of you or something that could be uh, altering your perception and the way that you act or the way that you interpret certain feelings and things. I think that it might be more of an interpretation of feelings than the actual weather itself. Yeah, yeah. I think that the weather was symbolic. Uh, I think heat would, for me, it would typically represent like passion, which Mm. to me suggested, you know, her her passion for her husband and then the resulting crime and storm clouds and and storms in general, thunder and lightning can usually mean something foreboding or something dangerous or tumultuous. It could be internal conflict. And then the rain itself representing like cleansing or bringing about change. And I think that you're right. There was snow in the book as well, which can sometimes, I mean, it's the opposite of the heat. So the opposite of passion or the death of passion or just death in general. And then also it can be, I've seen it, like I've seen before people say that like snowstorms, like if if it's snowing in a dream, it means that like great change is coming. I don't know if I, you know, feed into all of this, but that could be that's in the book. Yeah. When I was reading, though, for me, it seemed more like the opposite of passion. It was like the death of her passion, the death of herself, because, you know, once she goes through this tumultuous situation, once she goes through this passion and this crime and then it's dead and now she's essentially dead. She's living, you know, a very sad existence right now. That's interesting, too, because it could help interpret the ending when there's snowflakes falling on Theo's fingers and they're disappearing and whatnot. Could be symbolizing an end to his, you know, little rain there, which you don't take a job like this necessarily, maybe if you don't want to get caught either. So I think there might have been something else there, too. I don't know. 
we'll get into that. Okay. The Silent Patient is a psychological thriller with a twist. Uh, the author said that he was influenced heavily by uh, Agatha Christie. Did you feel that this was simply a detective story or that there are any other influences that you could spot? Mm, influences specific to Agatha Christie or just in general? Just in general. Yeah, I mean, I think this is definitely more than a detective story. I think there's definitely comments about mental health and the way that people are treated that you know are diagnosed with mental health issues. Um, I think it's a statement on women and how they're treated when they're going through something and how they can be uh, overlooked or pushed aside and then just locked away uh, to not inconvenience the men in their lives. So I think that there were some overarching themes there. In terms of influences, I don't know. Like I said, it did remind me of that book, Speak. It's a really popular book. It's been around for a long time the silent patient the whole concept was very familiar but i didn't think like as i was reading outside of the silent nature of like that aspect it wasn't the same at all so i don't really know if i i I didn't when i was reading it i didn't pick up on anything specific where i was like oh this i can see where maybe they got this from or that from um even agatha christie i mean i wouldn't say that i i felt a lot of influence from agatha christie's novels in this book it's it's an interesting i don't did did you i didn't uh i didn't find it to be a detective story i know he was like playing detective kind of as a doctor a lot of the times he'd be interviewing people and they'd be like wow you know this feels more like a detective interview or something yeah uh and he he was he was being a super creep trying to get all the uh info and ultimately doing it for himself Mm. but i didn't get agatha christie vibes from this uh i like you i read uh, and then there were not a while ago and that was a really good book but it doesn't really it's not like this and i'm not saying that that was his influence that book specifically maybe he's read books that we don't know that would influence this better and if we read it we know uh i didn't get i mean it was more than a detective story obviously you know this is a woman who is very troubled inside and then she ultimately was taking everything inside inside trying to get everything out but nobody was listening to her and then ultimately she just disappeared into herself and in the end she kind of against her will you know he put morphine in her system and made her put her into a coma but ultimately she just disappears so i don't know if maybe that's like and then she was none no (laughs) (laughs) i mean there's a lot of other agatha christie books too i know I mean, I have I've read a few of them, not all of them, but I still her her books are very much like, oh, here's this crime. Let's figure out who did it. And like, let's go on this like kind of fun adventure to figure it out. And I didn't feel that from this book. It didn't feel like a fun adventure. You know, (laughs) no, it wasn't a fun adventure. It was a sad, sad story. And like you wanted to learn more. I wanted to read more of her diary entries. I wanted to get more insight into what was happening. You know, yeah. and I felt satisfied uh, as I was getting information. Yeah. Uh, but other, as far as other influences, I mean, it's a thriller. What other influences? Yeah. I mean, maybe there's influence knowing his backgrounds, um, Michaelides, knowing that he was he worked in like a psych ward for a few years. Right. And he was studying that maybe that he was influenced there. And then he just decided to combine it with, you know, detective stories that he liked as a kid. Mm. I, I would probably assume those were his influences. Okay. All right. So throughout the novel, we do switch between Alicia's journal entries and Theo's point of view. Later, we discover the passages regarding Theo's marital issues were actually from the past, correlating with the timeline in Alicia's journals. It is uncovered that the man who Leo's wife, Kathy, was cheating on him with was Gabriel, Alicia's husband. Did this surprise you at all? How did you feel about Theo's actions to inform Alicia of her husband's infidelity, followed by the way that she handled what he had started? Okay, so this did surprise me. 
because I didn't think we were in the same timeline as her journal entries. So this was a gotcha moment for me. Once he said, oh, I put on my cap and I put on my gloves that I got. And I was just like, oh, shit. You know, and then I realized that he was the guy. And I was like, oh, man, because I was even questioning at one point. I was like, is she seeing somebody? Is she is she crazy? You know, I was wondering that myself. And then I thought it was like, you know, Jean Felice and he was getting angry because she was going to leave the the gallery. I thought it was Max because he was getting mad or something. And, you know, that's another thing going back to the silent thing, too. I think she blamed herself for being silent about Max, not telling Gabriel about this, but she felt like she couldn't go to anyone. And I felt sorry for her there. As far as how Theo handled it after finding out that his wife was cheating on him with Gabriel and then, you know, realizing Gabriel had a wife and all that stuff. I think that he went about it the complete wrong way. Had he gone back to Ruth and been like, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. What should I do? You know, maybe he would have had a better moment there to actually sit down and think about things before he actually just went on impulse like this. He lost himself here, you know, and then his actions from there just fall apart and just completely horrible. And they go back to what things his dad might have done. You know what I mean? The person that he wants to run from the most is who he becomes. So even though he doesn't actually kill Gabe, he does because he gives Alicia the homework and the the ingredients to make that recipe, you know? Yeah. So the way she handles it after that was, it was kind of surprising. After a while, as I was reading on, I kept thinking like, okay, well, I think Theo is going to kill her husband or something else is going to go down. But then she takes it upon herself and, and she does kill him. So it was it was interesting to read. <laughs> <laughs> you know like yeah yeah i mean it surprised me and it didn't in certain ways but in a good way yeah this didn't surprise me i actually wrote it in my notes as soon as we found out that his wife was cheating i was like it was probably gabriel and that's probably why he's dead and yeah. i also even put in my notes at one point that i thought theo was the stalker but then i was like this seems so stupid like maybe it was max so then i was like going back and forth i was like i don't know we'll see um so i wasn't really surprised i was surprised that alicia ended up being the real killer so I liked that in the book because I was getting a little bit annoyed where I was like, all right, so he like ties this guy up and kills him because his wife was cheating on him with him. Like that's, it's like, I can see that happening, honestly, like things like that do happen, but I was happy to see that it actually was her. I agree that he didn't need to do that. (laughs) No. (laughs) If you you think somebody's cheating on somebody, you say, hey, yo, my wife's cheating on me with your husband. You know, if you're not sure here, I have some evidence or like, just you know see where he's gonna be this friday night or something you know what i mean like just be yeah just be cool about it like don't be a freaking creep and you know that would have solved everything you know they right. could have just moved on with their lives the way that she handled it obviously is not the right thing to do but i understood that reaction as well she was heartbroken she was absolutely devastated and so she did kill him she tried to kill herself after um her attempted suicide was not successful and then she was taken in by police So I don't know. I don't, I would like to think I wouldn't have reacted that way, but I understand why she did. And I I, I liked ultimately that it was her who, who pulled the trigger on Gabriel and not Theo. Yeah, me too. And there was a little brief moment in there where I questioned it myself and I was like, Theo, I was like, no, (laughs) right. There was a moment I was like, nah, no way. And yeah. then all of a sudden, boom, I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. Fucking <laughs> psycho. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So Theo's wife, Kathy, uh, we actually never enter her mind in the book. You know, we get the journal entries about Alicia. We get Theo's thoughts. Do you wish we would have had her perspective? And uh, there's a mention by Theo towards the end of the book about how she actually mirrors her silence out almost mirrors Alicia's in the marriage. So what do you think that means? Yeah. 
I I don't think this book needed Kathy's perspective. However, I, I would have liked to have seen what was going on because we only know about her relationship with Theo from his perspective. So I would have loved to have seen how he actually was with Kathy mm. um, because we know how he is, you know, as a person at this point. So I would be curious to see if he was abusive in any way. I did suspect that, but then they never really talk about it, but it's all from Theo's perspective. So who knows? Um, they do talk about her silence and how she be, she like started becoming increasingly, um, reserved in, in their relationship. And once again, I think it was just talking about how women are silenced in bad situations. So she was in an unhappy and potentially harmful marriage. We don't know for sure, but her, her decision to be silent about it rather than leaving him and just choosing to cheat on him instead. I think is supposed to feed into that bigger theme of women, their voices can be silenced and then it's the men that speak for them. Mm, I agree with you there. I mean, it would, it would have been interesting had he, when he was like looking for evidence and clues, found her journal or found emails or something in her voice, given us something, you know? Yeah. Uh, but I agree. It wasn't necessary, but it could have made it a, maybe a little more fun just to get inside her head and see what was going on there and get thoughts about their marriage through her instead of his perspective. Yeah. Uh, maybe a missed opportunity there. But otherwise, uh, I agree with you. I think that, you know, her silence from what he thinks, you know, he thought what, you know, tying up his her lover and then he got killed it was going to make him have a better marriage like no i know right if i just kill the guy that she's sleeping with then she'll stop she'll want to be with me again yeah it's just (laughs) it's it's bonkers like come on you know of course this woman's unhappy clearly she was unhappy prior to this because she was cheating on him you know obviously this marriage was doomed to fail and if he would have listened to ruth how ruth said you have to leave her yeah this would have never went happen this none of this would have went down yeah okay and then you know if he then Gabriel uh, chose to, you know, leave his wife for Kathy, then everybody would have been, you know, sad, but a little better off. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I'd rather be sad than dead. Yeah. Without the trauma. (laughs) Okay. Um, So, you know, but that's clearly not what this book was about. That did not happen here. And there's a lot of trust issues underlying in this book. And clearly there's a lot of trust issues in their marriage. And, you know, she goes upstairs, takes a shower without even asking, oh, there's, oh, there's, there's cops at the door. Go take a shower, honey. Oh, okay. And she just goes upstairs and takes a shower, like no big deal. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And she's going to come down though. And she's going to realize that things went down with her husband. And I would like to see that part, <laughs> like how she yeah. reacts and how that's handled by her. Because she's the only person in the marriage between these four characters that we don't get um, perspective on. So we don't get to see how her, she would react. So just interesting thought. We don't really get Gabriel's either, but I I do think it would have been interesting to see Kathy, like some type of perspective from her, even if it was just like a chapter at the end showing like him being taken out by the cops and like finding out about all of this and then her reflecting on it. I think also her silence was supposed to be rooted in her grief as well. Mm. So I think, you know, the- She's grieving over Gabriel, obviously. Yeah. And then there's like the death of their marriage where she, you know, she was already out. I mean, she's cheating on him and then her lover's dead. And now she's probably living, you know, a very passionless uh, relationship with Theo as well. So the silence could be echoed in that, I think, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. But I would read, I would read a book about Kathy. She honestly seemed kind of interesting, despite, you know, 
a little bit immoral. <laughs> she still seems kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe the next book can be uh, about their journal entries, Kathy's perspective, and then Gabriel's journals. No, it's like, right. I don't really care about, <laughs> honestly, I don't really care about Gabriel's perspective. I don't, I don't either, but it'll just be like when they met or whatever. Yeah. Again, we, we only really know about him through Alicia's eyes, so maybe it would be interesting to see him, yeah. but he still seemed like kind of a jerk, so yeah, I don't know I if don't I want like him. <laughs> don't like him. Yeah. No, but the, the only um, reaction that we see from him is being tied up in a chair and him having to hear this, you know, masked man telling his wife this, he's cheating yeah. on you, like, and then yeah. boom, boom, boom in the face. Yeah. All right. So throughout Alicia's journal entries... It is unraveled how no one took her seriously aside from her neighbor, Barbie. I like Barbie. Um, About a man that she saw watching her. Did you believe her? If so, who did you think it was? And now that Alicia, we learned that she did have a stalker, which turned out to be Theo. How do you feel about the gaslighting that she received from her doctors and Gabriel and other people around her? What do we make of John Felix's warning um, to Alicia not to be so trusting to those around her? Yeah. So I'll, I'll tackle that quickly first, but Jean-Felice actually says to her, uh, she, he's the gallery manager um, and she paints, puts her paintings in his gallery, says, I'm not happy with you. I'm going to leave. Uh, he gets upset, but he wants to take her to a play. He does. It's the Greek tragedy play. Right before they're about to part ways, he tells her, you're too trusting the people around you. You trust them. Don't, you know, don't trust them. Uh, so that hit me for a loop. At first I was like, okay, he's, he's the stalker right? Because maybe he's stalking her after. I really thought it was him for a minute. Uh, Then I thought it was Dr. West for a minute. I was like, this guy's trying to silence her. I thought this guy was a creep. Uh, (laughs) First of all, Gabriel says, oh, you're using this doctor. You know, had she had gone to an actual doctor, because she really did need help. She needed to talk to somebody. Um, Had she gone to a doctor, an actual doctor who cared about her well-being instead of this creep who just cared about getting money under the table, maybe she could have received the assistance she needed. But as far as, you know, this warning that he gives her, Jean-Felice saying that you're too trusting the people around you don't trust him. I, it doesn't, they don't dive into it in the book, but I question because he never liked Gabriel. If maybe he had suspicions that he was cheating on her and he didn't like that, you know, maybe he was upset because I think he always might've had a thing for her. Yeah. He, he was interested in her paintings, obviously he kept her paints too. He was great also. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as far as uh, the, the stalker situation, I went through my moments where I believed her and didn't. I don't know. Because then they would be like, oh, look at this picture that Barbie brings over. He's like, she's like, she showed me this picture. And he's like, oh, I don't see anything. There's a blob in the background. But also then you find out really that it is him. So of course he's going to say there's a blob in the background and not, yeah. he's not reliable. He wasn't a reliable character uh, narrator from the start. So yeah. I don't know. There was a lot of times where I was questioning if she was being honest with herself or if she really saw what she thought she saw. Um, I liked that though. I like the second guessing stuff. So yeah, I did believe Alicia. <laughs> I never thought she was crazy. I thought that she, you know, she had some issues with depression and anxiety, but she didn't seem like she was having hallucinations or anything like that. Their whole basis for saying that she was acting crazy was because after her father died, she went into a depression and tried to kill herself. After her father committed suicide, actually. Yeah. And her mother had committed suicide also. So this woman has horrible tragedy surrounding her. Yeah, but that, I mean, having depression and, you know, attempting to commit suicide is not the same thing as having hallucinations. It's not the same thing as having delusions. So what is your basis for saying that she's just like making people up? I I get maybe thinking that she's a little paranoid, but for what, for what reason? You know, nobody ever asked her that. And my, my thing with the doctors and all that is... 
they were all connected through Gabriel. So it was Gabriel who didn't believe her in the first place. He made assumptions about who she was as a person, despite evidence against that. And then he went to his friend, the doctor, who then took money under the table to diagnose her and treat her. And she didn't have a say in the matter. And once again, I think this comes back to that overall theme of women's voices being silenced Mm -hmm. in a world where men are taking over that voice. And I think that that's what was happening here. I think the same thing was happening with John Felix. I I do agree that John Felix was skeptical about Gabriel, but I don't think it was coming from a a good place. I think it was coming from a place of jealousy. I agree that he had a thing for her. And I think that he was trying to finagle his way into her life by trying to get her to break up with Gabriel so he could be the knight in shining armor who would then, you know, be the nice guy that was there for her to support her and comfort her. And then he could, you know, get the girl at the end typical like nice guy type, um, you know, the quote unquote nice guy. So that, I don't know. That's how I feel about it. (laughs) This this woman was surrounded her whole life by the shady gray area characters all around her. It's no wonder that she became a painter and she was attracted to color because all of this shit going on in her life was so traumatic and horrible. She had all these bad people around her. I don't know. It makes me sad that these, you know, that she didn't see somebody who she could actually confide in. I mean, her her neighbor didn't even get taken seriously. Then her name is Barbie, right? So when she did tell the cops, oh, look at this picture she sent me, they dismissed it, which made me sad too. So I think there's like an underlying patriarchal theme going there. Yeah, I'm glad. I meant that's what I meant to bring up too, was the fact that she had taken a photo. And even if, again, you know, we are seeing this from Theo's perspective, even if it was kind of a grainy photo or they couldn't make it out, maybe they would have said, okay, you know what, the next time you see him take another photo or, you know, call me and, you know, take a video or something instead of just disregarding her. And her friend Barbie was the only one who believed her. And that's Mm -hmm. what annoyed me too, is like, if she had said something and then there was Barbie who could corroborate it for her, you know, but the cops never went and asked her anything. She said she tried, but they just kind of like disregarded her. To me, it was like maybe if she had spoken up, they would have taken Barbie more seriously. They would have taken that photo more seriously. But I, I agree that the point really that Michelides was trying to make is just how women's, you know, they're silenced. You know, I think it's a little far-fetched the more I think about it. The fact that these two doctors that had something to do with this woman literally being silenced ended up treating her while she's silenced yeah. i don't know there's got to be obviously the, the re- obviously there's a reason for that but i mean in real life that's a little it's a little far-fetched i think it was just the are, are you talking about theo and then dr west yeah they're both okay yeah at the facility yeah. that she's at after this whole situation goes down and they're both treating her yeah the whole mistreating thing, her <laughs> the thing say. with dr west was really disturbing because yeah. you know he intentionally did this all off the books and then never did, that's a conflict of interest he shouldn't be mm-hmm. treating her if he's treated her in the past or if he was friends with the person that was that she killed you know it, it's a huge conflict of interest and it's really unethical he was a super unethical character well, there's a I, lot of I hated unethical. him too there's a lot of unethical things happening True. at this facility. I mean, there's also the guy, uh, that um, that this, nice guy, the superintendent or whatever he is. That's stealing he was, the drugs and giving yes, it to the people. Yeah, He was stealing the drugs and giving it to a patient to sell the drugs. And he was doing this in the fishbowl. That's what they called the lunch break room. Mm-hmm. Break room. Yeah. So yeah, this is just an unethical place. The only person that actually seems like she wants to do the right thing and it's ethical besides Indira, I think she seems okay, was yeah. the, the the manager or the, the woman, Stephanie, that they all kept bashing and hating on and saying, oh, she's like making us not you know do the right thing but meanwhile she's the only person that ever wanted to do the right thing well, she really she was the only it. one yeah she was like you're being unethical and they were like no and she's like are you freaking kidding me we can't have this going on and that's I, another thing too of the men just silencing her if you notice i didn't think um the 
the doctor in charge was that bad. He had a Greek name too. I can't think of his name right now. It's like something oh, with a D. Yeah. Well, kind of, because he was like, oh, it's a dead end. You're never going to get anywhere with her. Yeah. And I mean, gave up on her. to me, that's just kind of like a jaded doctor or somebody that's been in the field for a long time. Who's I, I can't right. remember his name. He wasn't, he um, wasn't actually corrupt is what you mean. Like, yeah, he was seriously corrupt. Yeah. I think he meant well and he did want to help her. He just was like burnt out and jaded and he tried briefly, didn't work. So then he was just like, ah, she's a lost cause, which is realistic in the mental health field too, is where people will just kind of say, oh, that's just how that person is. You know, I tried to help her and it didn't work. So nobody can help her. And then these people just, you know, go through their lives until hopefully they do find somebody that can help them. But a lot of times they don't. I, I thought that was actually a very realistic portrayal of somebody who's been in the field for a long time. Well, since we're on the subject of the therapists, let's stay on the subject of the therapists. There's a theme clearly in this novel of how therapists, despite the the corruption we've been talking about, are also human beings with their own life issues. Um, so how do you feel about uh, Michelides, his incorporation of this within the story? And do you believe that there's an underlying theme of power in this novel? Yeah, I liked uh, that he included this in the novel. First of all, you know, therapist, doctor, they're just people. Everybody's a person. Everybody has their own life experiences. A lot of times people are driven to this field because of their own histories because they mm -hmm. want to help people because they've seen it happening in their own lives. They actually uh, talk about this in a flicker in the dark as well, which is a book we'll be covering next week for anybody that wants to tune into that. But it, it's common, you know, that people in the mental health field that want to help people, it's because maybe they didn't have somebody who could help them when they were younger or because somebody that they loved, you know, needed needed the help. And, and that's what they that drives them to do that. And in addition to that, I know a lot of therapists who see therapists. It's actually extremely mm -hmm. common and not just because of their own lives, but you're dealing with a lot of trauma every single day. Every day you're going to work and people are coming and giving you their trauma. They're talking about really upsetting, traumatic things that have happened to them. And that's really hard to cope with. So a lot of therapists and people in that field do see therapists of their own because they have to learn how to process that and to be able to cope with, you know, this, uh, what's the word, but basically like you're experiencing the trauma secondhand because you have right. to hear it all day. So I, I really liked that that was included in here. I thought it was a really realistic element of the book. And I think it's important to talk about as well. Um, in terms of the power of theme in this novel, absolutely. I think yeah. it's, you know, that's one of the major themes in here is how people in positions of power will abuse it to oppress people. In this case, I think it was specifically uh, directed towards women, how women are oppressed in the medical field. And, you know, I think that that was a major component of this novel. And I think it's very clear in how Alicia is treated by all of the men in her life. You know, her husband Gabriel should have been a partner instead it felt more like a power dynamic. It almost mm -hmm. like he had to take care of her. And then we see how she's treated by the doctors and how she's then treated by the people in this facility, including the doctors and and Theo. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I think it's refreshing that he incorporates this into the story too, to show that it's not just, you know, a, that everyone's dimensional. <laughs> it's not just, you know, a character is a doctor and he comes in with a white suit and then he leaves and he gives you a prescription <laughs> no that guy has a family that guy has a life <laughs> you know that guy has his own issues and whatever he, he dealt with growing up this you know what i mean same thing so um i, I really liked that he included that it made it, it made it real as far as uh the underlying theme of power 100 percent, like you said and it's in so many different areas i like that he tackles that so you know obviously you got the power dynamic between husband and wife you got the power dynamic between the doctors the doctors are essentially one of them is silencing her by giving her morphine and shutting her up the other one is uh, over medicating her with the wrong 
medication, shutting her up, right? Everyone mm-hmm. is out there to save their own asses and they don't care about what's going on with her. As well as, you know, we don't see any male patients in this book. I mean, we do see some male characters that are having issues, but the power dynamics are, are mainly associated with um, with female patients. There are a lot of female patients in this facility that are struggling with power dynamics. And then also you have her aunt who um, has a lot of issues too. And then you have a power struggle there. Because she was painting her and she painted her in a certain way because she's an artist and not all art, you know, makes people happy if you're the uh, captured (laughs) in the art. Uh, And she was very upset about that. Um, And she seemed like she wasn't a nice person. There was a power struggle going on there when she had to take on the role of her mother after her mother passed. So there was a power struggle with her and her father. There's power struggles throughout this entire novel for sure. Uh, And I think like you said, it, it does all boil down to women being silenced in some way or like you know, poor Alicia, when she was a little girl, she, she was literally, she was literally sitting on the roof with her cousin and she hears her father say, oh, why did my mother, why did my wife die in the car accident? You know, Alicia was in the car too. I wish she would have died. And she says, Alicia says to her, um, that was very sad. And Alicia, Alicia says to her cousin, you know, he, my father just killed me. Yeah. Um, that was heartbreaking, you know, and that's a bad power dynamic there because that's the one man that's supposed to be protecting you and he's killing you, you know, I don't know. It was, it was horrible. Uh, there, there wasn't really good parenting going on in this book. No. <laughs> so what do you think happens at the end of the book? The last line is pretty ambiguous. Uh, Theo is reading Alicia's diary and she says, As I listened, I looked up at the white clouds drifting past. Finally, they had opened. It started to snow. Snowflakes were falling outside. I opened the window and reached out my hand. I caught a snowflake. I watched it disappear, vanish from my fingertip. I smiled and I went to catch another one. All right. I loved this part. I hope I'm not alone here. But I just <laughs> loved this entire scene because here he is thinking, oh, I got everybody. I did it. I got it. You know, it's wrapped up. And then boom, there's a doc- there's a, and he couldn't find, he was looking for the journal. He couldn't find it. He was like, where is it? Yeah, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then all of a sudden, boom, here it is. It appeared inside of the painting. She, she hid it in the canvas uh, that she made of him, ironically, mm. um, and her going up in flames. So I just loved the way that tied into to each other because now he's going up in flames, right? Um, and basically he's turning, going up in flames. And I took it as, you know, they're, uh, the snowflakes are disappearing on his finger because he's hot. He's out. He's done. Hmm. You know, he's he got caught. Uh, so I just love that whole scene. I, I pictured it in my mind. The fact that he smiles while he's hearing this, he's a psycho. I'm sorry. He needs to be locked up. He can't hurt anybody else again. I feel sorry for his past, but that doesn't mean that he needed to do what he's done. So I, I really liked this scene. I just think it's ambiguous. I liked how it was left off uh, where you wonder what happens next for him instead of assuming that he definitely gets locked up. It's kind of left in the air because maybe he can talk his way out of it. He's been doing that ever since this whole scenario started. So who knows? Yeah. Um, but I really, I liked the ending a lot. Yeah. I liked the ending in the sense that Theo got what was coming to him. I liked that Alicia was finally able to have her voice heard in the form of her her diary. I think that that came full circle for her. Yeah. Um, the only thing really that did annoy me about the ending was that it was Theo that like ended up being, yeah, I was, cause like I said, I had kind of like thought, would it be him? But then I was like, that's kind of stupid. Like, I don't know how I feel about that. I would have preferred reading about a therapist who was genuinely trying to help this silent patient than helping to figure out what had happened. Um, 
But overall, I, I liked the ending of this book and I liked that he got what was coming to him. Yeah. And I liked the use of snow at the end of this uh, passage as well, because I think from Alicia's perspective, it's kind of symbolic of her accepting her fate that she she finally had her voice heard and now she can go to peace. You know, she she has I think that the snow represents like death or, you know, her catching the snowflake is like an acceptance of death or at least um, an acceptance of what had happened in her life. So and then for Theo, it's the end. It's the end of his charade the end of his terror <laughs> like mm-hmm. i mean yeah i mean he it, is terrifying he was so arrogant too and I, I agree with you when he was like sitting there smiling while the officer was reading this to him i was like what a friggin' psychopath yeah um and i think he was he was a bit of a psychopath so i i was kind of rooting for him initially i was like i really hope that he's not this this bad guy and you know turns out he was so it, it was sad it was kind of a bittersweet ending but i i did like the way that it ultimately wrapped up yeah it was bittersweet too because alicia does end up in this coma and you assume she's not gonna make it yeah and she doesn't know that she gets her revenge or whatever that yeah but it's interesting too because in the beginning you know you did learn that alicia when she starts coming down from all of the the drugs she attacks him you know and she says that in her journal entry that yeah. she realized it was him and she attacked him thinking that hope you know hopefully they would realize that it's him or whatever yeah. it just was cool to read her her final page before while she has the morphine in her system and she knows that she's gonna you know be silenced forever essentially i just thought it was really cool yeah it was good writing yeah it what this was very well written this book definitely yeah so what are your thoughts on the title the silent patient i like the title I wouldn't have changed it. I think it was appropriate. It gave you just enough information to know what this book is about without telling you too much. (laughs) Yeah. We have a silent patient. What's going on with the silence? I don't know. Is she being (laughs) silenced? Is she not? Is she like, I, it it leaves, it leaves a little bit open. Yeah, (laughs) I agree. Yeah. So you, you wouldn't have changed it. No, I love it. Okay. I think it gives suspense. <laughs> yeah. You know, she she is a silent patient. Why is she silent? That's what you want to know. That's what's going on the whole book and you yeah. know, what made her this way. And that's what you want to cover. And I liked it. Yeah. All right. So what do you think of the cover art? Does it fit with the content of the book? And would you have changed anything? No, I love the cover art. Yeah. I like how it has the red writing and I like how it's her blurred out in the background and she's silenced. You know, there's like uh, something ripping at her. Like it looks like like a screen in front of her face is ripped by her mouth. And I just think it looks really cool, very inviting. And it wants me to read it. Yeah. <laughs> I think this, I love this cover and I think it's super creepy. It is. Really, it is eerie. Like, yeah. It, it gives you the sense of foreboding. And I, I like... So if you haven't seen the cover of it, like Jess said, it's a woman behind it, maybe a canvas or a sheet. And then there's a rip right over the mouth. So yes. maybe suggesting that, you know, her voice is about to be heard. She's the silent patient and you're about to hear what she had to say. Somebody's getting her voice finally. I don't know. But either way, it's super creepy if you look at it. Like, you know it, what? You just said it's a canvas and I do see the little staples here. I didn't see them before. And you're okay. right. It actually gives you the the um the truth about where she hides her journal too, because it's yeah. her canvas. Yeah, look right. at that. It's like a little breadcrumb. I love yeah. the cover. Yeah, it's it's a really good cover and a really good yeah. title. Yeah, and her eyes too. Do you see her eyes? They're so <laughs> creepy. Is she, is she looks like she's not alive. No, <laughs> right? It's, That's it's crazy. The the cover is it gives me a very like spooky feeling. I like it. Yeah, it's good. I wouldn't change it. No. All right. So let's do the fun part. Okay. All right. First thing that comes to mind, if this book could be summed up as a song, what would it be? All right. I'm going to go with Our Lips Are Sealed by the Go-Go's. 
Ooh. Okay. <laughs> I like that. Uh, how about, well, I don't know what, what this is called because I can't think of it right now. I, it's definitely a Linkin Park song. And now I'm thinking of crawling in my skin because this is what the cover is making me do. <laughs> but what's the one where he's like, shut up when you're talking to me. Oh, shut up when I'm talking to you. Shut, shut up. up. Shut uh, up. Hold on. I'll look it up for you. Oh, my God. Right, rest in peace, Chad Bennington. Um, I love that song. That song. <laughs> One step closer. Yeah. Yes. Because I'm one step closer step to the closer edge. To the edge. And, I'm and I'm about to break. Yes. <laughs> that is this book. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. <Nail> color. <laughs> uh, for this one, I'm going to go like a crimson-y type red. Okay. By the way, just to go back to my song too, because I guess maybe because she's silent and he's screaming. I feel like she needed to scream. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I've been picking red a lot for the book. And I want to pick red because of the front. Yeah, that's what made me think of it, I think, was the color of the text. <laughs> uh, but I'm going to go white, like a, a doctor's coat. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm going to go white like the blank canvas, you know. There's a lot of that in this book. Yeah. So maybe a white, like a funny bunny is a good one. It's a good nail color. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what about a cocktail? <laughs> you a cocktail? need a lot of co cocktails for this book. <laughs> i'm gonna say a glass of red wine for this one red red wine like a cabernet sauvignon all right uh i'm gonna say a, a glass of whiskey me okay <laughs> okay <laughs> uh item of clothing hmm all i can think of this is terrible but just like a hospital gown okay <laughs> that makes sense yeah <laughs> Uh, I mean, can I reuse one? I want to do the lab coat. Yeah, right? you can reuse. This book is a lab coat. Uh, it's funny too, because you you just did the patient and I just did the doctor. It's funny. Yeah. How about a meal? Mm, maybe like a chicken piccata. Uh, I, I mean, to me, this is like one of those creepy books and I just keep seeing like his face ripped off and stuff. So I'm going to have to yeah. say like a piece of ziti. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Like a bowl of ziti. I don't know why. Having a I, I hope yes. I hope I didn't ruin ziti or anybody's dinner tonight. <laughs> I'm like it. his face is ripped off. Ziti. You're like oh, the first uh, thing I think of when I think of somebody's face being ripped off is just a piece of ziti. <laughs> Ooh, yum. <laughs> no, it's from that movie at first sight. I told you there's this movie random. Oh. It's it's like nobody even knows about this movie, but it's a hundred years old from the nineties or whatever. And randomly, really quick in the movie, he gets picked up by a hitchhiker, and the guy's like, "Yeah, I seen his face ripped off or something." He's like, "It looked like a piece of ziti." Oh. So that's why I think of that. Oh, so, gotcha. yeah, sorry. It makes sense <laughs> to my sicko mind, but okay, yeah, okay. animal. <laughs> All right, an animal. I'm going to go with. Mm, I don't know. Maybe yeah. like a, a snow fox, a Ooh. snowy fox. Snow foxes are so pretty. I know. The first one that came to mind was a hawk, but I don't think that relates. Yeah. Hawkeye watching, maybe. Maybe. Like she's the prey and Theo's the hawk watching her, maybe. Yeah. Private eye. I know. Watching, watching you. you. <laughs> watching your every move. Doug would go nuts. He loves Hall and Oates. <laughs> does he really? Yes, That's he hilarious. does. All right. So the ultimate question, scoop or skip, and how many golden scoops? This is a scoop. 
I would definitely recommend reading it. It's I thought it was excellent. Uh, I really loved it. I, I wouldn't read it again, but I loved it. Um, but I would give it about a four. You know, I, I think that it was uh, compelling. It, it made me want to read it and keep reading it and finding out what happens. I like things like that. I love a thriller. Good one. Uh, and it definitely, you know, made the cut of a good thriller. It was definitely an engaging book, you know, and it made me care about the characters. Uh, you know, I just that little bit of like, it's Theo, really? Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. That's why I can't give it higher personally. And maybe I'm being bitter. But no. um, there's also a little little bit of other things I would have liked more explanations on. Maybe I would have liked a little bit more. It needed maybe three more chapters for me. <laughs> filling okay. in some gaps um and i didn't really love the fact that you know alicia kind of gets morphine in the end you know mm-hmm. i don't know it's a four for me first for my own personal reasons yeah. <laughs> but not because of the writing i think um you know this is my first introduction to alex michaelides and i think he did a great job yeah i think his writing was superb yeah i i agree with you on i think everything you said it's definitely a scoop for me i was conflicted about this book i was like i don't know if i want to read this i've heard really back and forth reviews on it people hate it or they love it and i was like i don't know i feel like i'm gonna be one of those people that hates it so i was really surprised i really did like this book i up until the very end i loved this book i thought it was extremely well done i loved the characters whether they were good or bad they were great characters mm-hmm. i thought nicolidi's writing was fantastic for a debut author really yes. good i would definitely be willing to to read more of his work um it lost me at the end <laughs> it lost me at the end and that's why i couldn't give it a five either i i went with a four as well four golden scoops but yeah i i didn't like the explanation for for alicia's silence that she just nobody would believe me so what's the point i i got it but i didn't like it yeah. and i didn't like that it ended up being theo i think this would have been a five for me if it had been just he was actually a good therapist that was helping her find out you know yeah. the, find out who really did this or to to at least help her come to terms with the fact that she had or learn to speak again anything except him being a creepy stalker that you know tied up a man and then let his wife shoot him <laughs> yeah no i agree with you it was a five for me for a while yeah and then that last paragraph that we read, uh, that was excellent too. And it was a great yeah. ending, but there was pieces of it in this, you know, towards the end there that I was just like, eh. Yeah. Eh. The, thing, the thing that bothered me about it is it felt too forced. It felt like Michaelides was writing this great book and then he was like, ah, no, I got to give him a twist that they'll never see coming. And I was like, you didn't need to do that. You you could have not done that and it would have been a five star for me. But I, mm-hmm. you know, there's other people that may have, may have really liked that. I don't know. It just wasn't for they me. They did. There's people in the reviews that loved this twist. So, yeah. you know, everybody's different. Yeah. But I agree. I feel like, uh, yes, make it have not have been her. And that she was traumatized and that's what made her go silent or something. I don't know. Something else. Yeah. Uh, You know, Max snuck in or something. And he was like, you'll never tell my brother and I'll kill my brother because I'm jealous of him. He's always been jealous of him. There was other areas that we could have explored. Maybe they would have been obvious. I don't know. I would have been happy if Alicia was the killer, but Theo just finally gets the truth out of her. And we learn, you know, from her perspective about why she did it or something, you know. Right. Yeah. It it just, he was doing too much with the stalking and, and the tying up and all that. It was just... It, it, it jumped the jumped the shark for me. I know. Like I said, when I read that and he was like, I put on my gloves and my thing, I was like, oh, whoa. And then I was like, why? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Whatever. But yeah. we're, on, we're on board the same page with that. But yeah. otherwise, Michaelides, good job. Yeah. All right. Great writing. We will read more from you. And he does have another book yeah. called The Maidens or something. So yeah, I would we'll definitely be. It. Yeah, definitely be willing to read more from him. Yes. All right. There you have it. That's the silent patient. Go read it. <laughs> All right. We're about to go silent. Bye. Bye. We had a good conversation. <laughs>
Next Tuesday, October 24th, we will be reading and reviewing A Flicker in the Dark by Stacey Willingham. Join us then for our thoughts on the psychological thriller and join us again this Thursday, October 18th for another party episode. Don't forget to mark your calendar for our next Book of the Month episode, which will air on Wednesday, October 25th. We'll be reading and discussing Catrione Awards horror novel, The Last House on Needless Street. (laughs) If you're just tuning in, this is what you can expect from our podcast. We're going to be releasing new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. So be sure to check out our socials for updates and also some bonus content. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, and other platforms. Click on the link in our bio for access to all of our socials, our website, and other links. We encourage you to reach out to us with thoughts, ideas, questions, and feedback. You can email us at bookswithcooks at gmail.com. You can also find our full book reviews on Goodreads. These links will also be available at the link in bio. If no one told you today, you're important and valued. You belong here. You're doing great. And we believe in you. Now let's turn the page and put a fork in it because we're done with this one. Bye.